Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. I know a lot of people are around holidays, which is awesome. But you know what? I'm excited this morning for the Word of God because we're about to start a new theme. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to jump straight into the Word. No mucking around this morning. Psalm 23. A lot of you know it well, but it says this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a beautiful scripture. But as we come into the second half of 2023, we're about to kick off a new theme for the month of July, and that is prepare the table. Prepare the table. And the message that I have for you this morning is called You Are Invited, because prepare the table for us is talking all about communion, it's about relationship, it's about connection. And who knows when we talk about those things, There's two dimensions to it. The first is vertical relationship. It's our relationship that we have with God the Father. And then there's horizontal relationship. It's a relationship that we have with others in our life. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on that vertical relationship to set us up for the month. Because who knows that all things start with, if we want to do horizontal relationship well, If we want to succeed in life and thrive in life and be blessed in life and walk with wisdom and all those good things, then we really need to understand that it all starts with and flows out from that vertical relationship that we have with with God. And Matthew 6 tells us in verse 33, it says that if you would seek first Him, if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then God says all those other things that we worry about in life, all those other things that we need, He knows what they are. But he says, if you're seeking me first, if you're making room for me, then I'll add them to you. I'll add them into your life. And in John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You have been designed by nature to be grafted into me and to stay in me. Because if you stay in me, then you can do all things through me. But in and of yourself, if you're out there on your own, it's very hard to to do anything. And so coming back to Psalm 23, here David is talking about God and is describing Him as the ever-faithful shepherd. What does a shepherd do? We know a shepherd leads and he guides and he protects. And we focus down on verse 5. It says that He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here is a God. David is painting a picture for us of a God who is loving, He's caring, He provides, He leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He, he anoints our cup so it's overflowing. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then all of a sudden, he says, and you prepare a table before me in the middle of my enemies. And it's almost like it reads out of sync and out of character. Here is a God who does all these great things. Plus, he then prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a place to commune with us, not after the enemies have been defeated, not in a place of necessarily already victory being won. No, he says, while the enemy's there, while you're going through struggles, when things seem hard, he says, there I'm preparing a table for you. 
The table is intended for two, for you and him to commune. And because this table is prepared in the presence of our enemies, it's logical to think then that the devil sometimes has opportunity to pull up a seat at our table, right? And this morning, I want to help you see that you and I actually have the power through Jesus Christ to take authority at who sits at your table, to take authority over who influences your thinking. Because for us to stop the enemy pulling up a chair at our table, we must start by wrapping our, our minds around a very simple truth. And it's this, that life is often hard. Amen. Life is often hard. Life is often complicated. But Jesus invites us to follow him anyway. The fact that life is hard, life is complicated, life is full of its challenges and disappointments. We've all been there. We all know it. Jesus invites us anyway to follow him. In fact, in Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said, disciples, if anyone desires, wants to, longs to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find us. And often it's a truth I think we don't understand or we gloss over in church life. And so people come into the house of God and think the minute I connect in with God, life is just going to work. Life is going to be easy. Life is going to flow. And they find out when it doesn't, well, hang on, what's wrong? What's going on with God? Something's out of sick. What's wrong with me? How come life is hard? But here Jesus says, if you desire to follow after me and I invite you to, then you need to understand there's certain things and principles in your life you need to do. And that is take up your cross and understand that even when life gets hard, I'm calling you to follow me. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on me. A few months ago, I brought a message titled, Even Though I Will. And at the very heart of that message was that even though we don't always understand, even though sometimes things are hard and we're, we're disappointed and we find ourselves in those valleys, we still have a choice to make by faith to say, God, because of who you are, I choose to draw close to you. I choose to stay connected. I want to sit down at your table. And I gave that example and story of King David. We've maybe read it many times before. He goes off the rails a bit in the season of his life as king and he sleeps with Bathsheba and they conceive a child and he has Bathsheba's husband murdered. So he's doing a whole lot of wrong things and it's exposed. And God says to David, because of your sin, I'm taking the life of this firstborn son. And David's heartbroken and he's interceding on behalf of his son. God, please don't have mercy. God does it anyway. And in that moment, we know that David could have become angry Felt so hurt, walked away from God, didn't understand why God would be so cruel. We thought he was a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. But instead, what does he do? He gets off the floor of intercession. He puts on new robes. He goes into the temple of God and he begins to worship. That even though I will kind of faith. So God is preparing a table for you in the middle of your adversaries, in the middle of your struggles because really he wants you to know that he is a God that wants to be with you. He's not just a God that loves you from a distance. He's not just a God that's championing you from the sidelines when life is good. He says, regardless of how your life is, I'm a God that wants to be with you in the struggles, in the good times, on the mountaintops, in the valleys, because I'm still the same God. I'm still the same God that I was yesterday, today and forever. The Bible says that I do not change. I'm the same miraculous God that delivered my, my children from Israel, that led them through the, the Red Sea, that delivered my son on a cross. I'm the same God and I choose to commune with you. I want to commune with you. 
The good thing about God's invitation to his table is this. It doesn't require of us perfection. It doesn't require a special invitation. It simply requires that even though I will kind of faith. God, even though I don't understand things in my life, even though sometimes I'm struggling and I feel like prayers aren't being answered, you're still God. You still sent your son for my life. You still have given me eternal life. I am saved by grace because of your goodness and your loving kindness and who you are. I choose to sit at the table. You're inviting me to. Amen. So God wants to be close, not just in the good times, but in the bad times. And sometimes we've got to remember who it is that we are dining with, right? Who's on the other end of our table? And so in 1 Timothy 17, it says that he is the king eternal immortal, invisible, the one and only wise God. In Romans eleven thirty three and 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. The God that through the stars into the galaxy, the God that holds all power and authority in his hand, that same God who's always existed before time, that God is the God who wants to reach out and commune with you. It says, I prepare a table for you, I've laid it out, and I want you to come and to dine with me. And I want you to hear this morning that as much as we should and must accept the invitation to commune with God at the table, It's also a choice that we must make to protect it and protect that time. Because given the centrality of that table in the middle of the enemies, in the middle of conflict, the enemy has the opportunity and he circles your life looking for moments to slip in and become an uninvited guest at the table. And I'm telling you, church, it only takes a moment of doubt, a moment of unbelief, a moment of giving in to something you know you shouldn't and the enemy can pull up a seat at your table. And what is he doing? Why does he want to sit at your table? Because he wants to become part of the conversation in your life. And it's not just now you and God. It's the enemy beginning to whisper things to you. Harmful thoughts he wants to put in your mind. The problem with harmful thoughts is that if we leave them unchecked in our life as believers, thoughts eventually become actions. And harmful actions eventually spill out into our lives. And what do they do? They end up Stealing, killing, and destroying all that is good, all that God wants for us that is good. In Peter, it says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, our job as believers is not to stop him roaming, prowling. That's what he does. That's his character. But our job is to stop him pulling up a seat at our table. Amen. And so the reality is sometimes we just become accustomed to having him at our table. Maybe he's been sitting at your table for quite some time. Maybe he's been whispering thoughts into your life, stinking thinking, whatever it is that you've just had for a long time. And I want to wake you up to the fact this morning that maybe you're just settling for the uninvited guest at your table. Because here's the thing. The table of God was only ever designed for you and him. He wants to commune with you. He wants to speak into your life. He wants to sit with you. But if the enemy is at the table as well, you got these thoughts coming into your life. Oh, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I'm just a person that always is going to struggle with anxiety. I'm never going to be good enough, qualified, pretty enough to have the job I need. I mean, what's the point in trying? Who reads the news feeds? The world's doom and gloom. Everyone's dying. So why bother? Why try? We begin to live these narratives in our life that are not from God. They're from the enemy. 
and we accept them and that's just how we go. But I want to tell you, there's more to life and for you in life than just listening to the narrative of the enemy. And if we want freedom, then we cannot let the enemy have control of what it is that we're thinking and what we're saying and what we're speaking. And so in Romans 8, 10, it says this, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, because the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says when you come to accept Christ, he places that same power on the inside of you. So you and I literally walk with the power of God, new life on the inside of us that you no longer, Paul says, when you are saved, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. You're you're now a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come and you can walk victoriously. I've given you the same power I've given my son. You are partakers with Christ. But if we're living by a false narrative in our minds... We're not engaging with and activating the power that God has given us. We can live as new creations. So David in Psalm 23 is introducing us to this all-powerful shepherd. He's got a rod in one hand. He's got a staff in the other. With the staff, he can pull you away from the brink of destruction. And with the rod, he beats down those that would come against you. And the context of this is David understood this very well because while he was a shepherd boy, he was empowered by the Spirit of God to literally protect the flock from the lion and the bear. The Bible says that he took on the lion and the bear, beat them with his own hands. So he understands the saving grace and empowering power of God in his life. But the moral is we must learn to recognize the lies of the enemy. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so the enemy is at your table. Well, what are some of the lies? What are the common lies that the enemy begins to whisper into your life that he wants you to accept? The first one is this, the lie of comparison. We call it the grass is greener syndrome. You're sitting at the table looking at every other table thinking they're way better than mine. The enemy's at your table. What is this about? This is about, well, if I only had the better opportunity, the better education, the better job, if I just had the break, if I just had that that relationship or that money or whatever it is, then I would have what I need. Then it would be better between me and God. Then I would walk in the relationship. Or quite often what happens in church life is we look at other people's relationships with God and we compare and we measure ours based on theirs. Man, Vicky's blessed. Every prayer she prays is answered. God's for and not against. Everything she does touches to God. Well, hang on, that's not happening in my life. God, what's going on? Why aren't you doing that for me? Is there something wrong? And we begin to measure and judge our standards and ourselves based on what God is doing in other people's lives. That is a lie from the enemy. He wants to keep your eyes off God at the table and look at what everyone else is doing at other tables. Second lie is that you're doomed. Everywhere I go at the moment, I feel like people are living their life by an anthem of it's just no use. It's doomed. Why bother? There's no point. And David says here in the scriptures, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And here's something I want you to understand. God never guarantees us that we won't walk through a valley. Valleys are coming whether you like it or not. No matter how many mountains you're on right now, you will go through valleys. The key word here is that, yea, though I walk through, valleys are not designed to stay in. Valleys are designed to walk through. So if you find yourself in a valley, you've got to understand the intention of God is that I want to be with you 
Because by design, I want to walk with you through your valleys. There is coming an end to your valleys if you would stay connected to God. Yea, though I walk through the valleys. And sometimes we hold God hostage and accountable. Well, God, surely you should deliver me from all my problems. That's what you promised to deliver me from. God says, no, 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 I haven't promised that. I promise to see you through, to through the struggles, through the challenges. He's not building bridges over troubled water. He wants to develop a faith in your life so that you and him together can go through the waters. So whatever it is that you're facing, understand by design, God wants to commune with you, stay close to you so you both can walk through the challenges you face. You're not doomed. The third lie is the lie of worthlessness. If you live by the anthem in your life, well, I'm just simply not good enough. The enemy's at your table. Why do I say that? Because the truth of God's word is that you are made in his image. That before you were formed in your mother's womb, he says, I already knew you. I know every hair that's on your head. For those of us that are getting older, every hair that's falling off your head. I bottle all your tears. I know the life. I've written out your life story before you even came onto this earth. Here's the thing. I loved you so much that I sent my only begotten son to die for you. If it was just him, you and the world, God would have still done it for you because he loves you. And he allowed his son to go through an horrific ordeal obedience to death on a cross simply because he wants relationship and intimacy with you so you've got to understand that it's not about worthlessness you are valued and you are treasured and God is inviting you personally to sit at a table with him the next lie is that there's no way out right you feel trapped in life there's just no way out I'm struggling I feel trapped I All I'm seeing is the enemy surrounding me at the moment and I can't get out of things. Who's ever been in a situation where that valley really doesn't feel like you're going to get out, right? The walls are high around you and you lie awake thinking about opportunities and scheming and planning, but there's just no way out. If that is overwhelming you, then the enemy is at your table. Why? Because I want to tell you that if you feel surrounded, it's actually better than what you think. And I want to just give you a rundown on a story. It's found in two kings and it's Elisha the prophet. And it was in a season where kingdoms would go to war. And so you had the enemy king, King Aram, who was constantly persecuting the king of Israel. But God in his grace and wisdom had anointed Elisha with prophetic insight as to what the enemy king was doing. And so he would go to the king of Israel and give him the rundown of what the king of Aram was going to do. And so then the enemy king would come along with his armies and find that Israel was already two steps ahead. Already knew they were doing and it was infuriating him until he found out eventually what was going on. That Elisha was getting in the mix of this and helping Israel and so he made it his purpose that Elisha was going to die. And then one day he finds out that Elisha and Gehazi, his servant, had pulled up stumps at a little town called Doth and they were staying in the night there. And the king of Rome said, that's it boys, we're going, we're going to sort this guy out. And they get there and they surround this village with their armies and the next morning Gehazi gets up with a morning coffee, walks outside All he sees is the enemy army surrounding them. Chariots, horses, soldiers, the king ready to take them out. And so he panics. He runs. He wakes up his master, Elisha. He says, Master, Master, it's over. We're stuffed. There's no way out. We're going to die. Look what's going on. And Elisha kind of wakes up and doesn't panic, doesn't run to the window. He simply prays very calmly. He says, God, would you just open the eyes of my servant Gehazi to see what you have shown me? But weird, but in time of crisis, that's what he says. And so Gehazi goes back to the window and looks. What does he see now? A chariot 
of God's army, fiery chariots, horsemen, angels, by their thousands surrounding the enemy that's surrounding them. This morning, I want to tell you that we don't always see it because the enemy wants you to look at what is surrounding you in the natural. What is the struggle? But I'm telling you, God wants you to see that what is surrounding your life, He has surrounded with His power, with His grace, with His mercy, with His miracle working power. But sometimes we have to stop for a minute and say, God, would you open my eyes to see what it is you're doing behind the scenes? So I want to tell you that that is a lie. The truth is that God has surrounded what is surrounding you. And you are going to make it to the other side. Amen. So how do we stop the enemy taking a seat at your table? It's just for you and God. How do we stop him pulling up the chair? Well, the first thing is this. We've got to simply just take stock of where we are in life. Because by nature, we are people that will struggle and persevere and take the reins and control things. And sometimes it just takes a moment of us being able to go, God, I need to stop and I need to surrender. And I need to acknowledge that maybe what I'm going through right now, I don't have the strength or skills or abilities to get through it on my own. I don't have an answer. But God, you do. You do. You are faithful. I need you. And sometimes, and for men, it's probably a lot harder. We've got to learn to surrender ourselves to the challenges we face and say, God, would you help me? Because here's the thing. God wants to lead you in his ways. But it's like someone being on a horse. If it's been on, gone horse riding and your horse is just the do- dodgy horse, mate. You know, everyone else has got the good horse and you've got the dodgy horse that doesn't want to do what he's biting you, doesn't want to go the way you want it to go, right? God wants to lead you to the promises he has for you. But sometimes we've got to surrender the reins. We've got to relax a little bit in our life to trust him to take control and to begin to steer us and lead us and guide us his way. We've got to learn to surrender. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord, who knows sometimes it's very hard to wait. When we've got problems to fix, I know I'm like that. I need to get them fixed. I don't want to wait. I don't want to stop. I don't, God, come on, give me the answer. Give me the breakthrough. Give me the solution. I need to get this off my chest. I'm lying awake. I don't want to wait. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Those who wait on him shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We must remember that our identity is in Christ. Our identity, he has already won every battle. When he went to the cross, he won every victory for your life. He won every battle. He took the keys of sin and death of the enemy. So he's done it all. The prayers, the miracles, the breakthroughs. He won that for us on Calvary. We have the same access to those victories. Jesus and us are co-heirs. God says, when you come into my kingdom, all that was on Christ is now on you. All that Christ did on Calvary, the victories that he won, you have won in your life. We just need to be able to align with it, to engage with it, to tap into it. You've got to remember, you're, an old, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You no longer need to be a sin to slave, a slave to sin. But here's the thing. We can't do it with superpowers. We can't do it by sheer grit and determination. We can't do it on our own. It says victory is not something that we are trying to do. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. And so our job then is just to, as I said, align with the work of the cross. We start in victory and we can move forward. In 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The weapons we fight with are mighty in God. Ephesians 6, 18 tells us to put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. So what is the full armor of God? It's that helmet of salvation protecting our mind. It's that breastplate of righteousness covering our heart. It's that belt of truth. We take up the shield of faith and the sword of the word of God and we put on our feet the gospel of peace. And that armor has the power to demolish the enemy's attacks. But here's the great paradox. Christ has already done the work. He's gained the victory But we must align ourselves to tap into that work so that it becomes evident in our lives. So I want to give you an illustration. Who's ever had to do some serious earth moving, some serious landscaping? We brought acreage a couple of years ago and had to put in retaining walls. And it was a massive job and there were huge boulders and things to move. Who knows when you've got to do that kind of work, you've got to call in the big guns. So we had these 10-ton excavating machines, not little bobcats, 10-ton excavators coming in to help, right? So when Christ went to Calvary, his victory on the cross bought you an excavator in your life, a ten-tonner. So there's the ten-tonner sitting in your life. He's won it for you. He's given it to you. He's done the work. Here's your excavator. This excavator has the power and ability to move in your life what you cannot move, to shift the things that are heavy and weighty and blocking the way and burning you. It has the ability to do that. But if all I do is I stare at it, wishing it would do it, nothing's going to happen. I have to align myself with my excavator. I've got to actually step into it, sit down in it, turn it on to access the power for it to do what I cannot do. So it is with the power of God. If all you do is hoping, understanding in your mind, yeah, he's done it. That's cool. But we're not engaging with the power of God in our lives. It's the same concept. We're trying to move things in our life we can't without His power. We're trying to shift things in our life, in our own ability, and we wonder why they don't move. I'm telling you this morning, church, we've got to engage with the work of the cross, with what God has done. So how do we do that? How do we engage? How do we begin moving those rocks? Well, first thing is this. We must identify those thoughts in our lives that don't come from the Word of God. If you are finding yourself under attack, thoughts and ideas that are not lying to the Word of God, I'm telling you, that's the enemy. The first thing is we've got to identify them. Hey, hang on, that's not right. That doesn't align with the Word of God. That's not what He says about me, about my future. We've got to take hold of those thoughts, and then we have to bind them in Jesus' name. The Scripture we just read in 2 Corinthians says, we have the ability to bring every thought captive under the name of Jesus Christ. He's got the authority. Remember, He's done it for us already. So hang on a second, that doesn't align with the Word of God. No, I'm sorry. I thought you will come under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so we bind it in Jesus' name. And as we do that, as we bind thoughts, it's actually a prayer we're praying and it's aligning us and putting Christ and us in agreement that what we're staring at is going under His authority. So identify what it is in your life that's not right thinking. Bind it in Jesus' name. And then once we've bound it in Jesus' name, we have to change the narrative. If you don't like the story your life is playing out, you have the ability to change the narrative. How do we do that? We do that by knowing the Word of God, right? Psalm 119.11 says this, that your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Jesus is baptized in Matthew in the Holy Spirit. Spirit comes upon him, full of the power of God. He's got the Word of God on the inside of him. He knows the Word. Straight away, the Spirit of God, not the enemy, the Spirit of God leads him out into the desert, into a dry place to be tempted. It's Why? Why does he have to go through that process? He's the Son of God. He's been anointed by the Spirit. He carries the Word of God on the inside of him. Let him get on with doing what he's been called to do. No, the Spirit of God takes him first into a dry place and he's tested. Why? Because that which cannot be tested cannot be trusted in your life. I want you to hear that again. A faith that is never tested can never be trusted. God wants to know that the Word he's put on the inside of you When you go through some valleys and it's tested, you're going to stand on it. You're going to call on the name of Jesus. You're going to press in by faith and say, God, I know what your promise says, so I'm standing on your word. I'm going to take those thoughts captive. I'm going to bind them. I'm going to speak the word of God over them. He needs to know that you trust him enough to lean into that. That which cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And if you carry the word of God on the inside of you, know that at some time it's going to be tested. And what does Jesus do in the time of testing? He refutes and pushes back on God with the word. Enemy comes at him with a lie, with a temptation. And he goes, hang on a second, that's not what it says. This is what it says. It sounds logical and it sounds easy enough to do, but can I tell you as believers how often we don't do that? And we, allow, we rather settle for the narrative of whatever the enemy is telling us. And why don't we do that? Well, sometimes life's just too full and life's too busy. Remember that scripture I read, those who wait on the Lord. God, I'll make room for you. Well, will you? Because can I tell you, we need to, church, as believers, make room for God. That he can strengthen us, that he can spend time with us, wherever it is that you find yourself now. And so Jesus refutes the enemy with the word, So you and I must have that word wrapped around our lives. It must be before our eyes. It must be in our ears. It must be in our mouth that at any point we can take captive those thoughts that aren't right. We bind them in Jesus' name. And then we speak the word that we know in our heart over it. If you start doing that, I'm telling you, you push the enemy away from your table. You silence him and you get him out of that place of intimacy and connection that's meant for you and God. When you can get control of the playlist in your mind, things change. You become the DJ of your own thoughts. And you start aligning yourself to what Christ has already done. One of my favorite scriptures is the beginning of of Joshua, chapter 1, where Joshua is taken over leadership from Moses and he's about to take Israel into the promised land, cross the river Jordan into Canaan. And God says, the first thing I want you to understand is that here is the book of the law. Here is my word. And if you will meditate on it day and night and observe to do all that is according to, to what is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. In other words, Joshua, I'm setting you up now with a principle. If you will put the word of God on the inside of you, you never have to be discouraged. You never have to fear because I will be with you. And if you meditate on it, if you understand it, if you chew it over, if you know it, then whatever is going to come against you, you're going to face your valleys, you're going to face your struggles, you're going to fight some battles on the other side of the promises, but you've got the Word of God on the inside of you, you're going to get through to the other side. And so this morning, my heart is to encourage you, get the Word of God on the inside of you. 
Because He's a God that loves you and He's a God that wants to commune with you and He's a God that is for you. The Bible says He's not against you. He doesn't want you to stay too long in the valley. He wants to walk with you through it. But we got to understand that the time has come where we have to actively engage with the work that He's already done on our behalf. Amen. So I'm going to get us to stand up this morning if we can. And I might ask Sage if you can go just play on the, the keys this morning. Sometimes we go through this cycle in our journey with God where we're trying and we're walking and we don't always get it right. And sometimes we fall over and we're not as faithful with the Word of God and maybe we give in to things we shouldn't give in to. So what happens if you fail? What happens if you fall and don't get it right? Well, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the grace of God. That He knows you. He knows what you're made of. He knows that you are human And there's going to be times where maybe you don't get it right in the valley, on the mountains, wherever it is in your life you're at. He says, but that's where my grace comes in. That's where the work of the cross really shines. You know, the enemy constantly looks at you in your life and wants to define you by your scars, by your mistakes, by what you've done wrong. That you're never good enough. You're never going to qualify. You're never going to really be accepted at that table God's inviting you to. Does He know who you are? Does He know what you've done? Can I tell you, He does, but He loves you anyway. See, the enemy wants to define you by your scars. God defines you by His scars. God defines you by what He's already done on the cross. He says, nothing you could ever do could make me love you less. Paul tells us in Romans that there's no principality, devil or power that can separate us from the love of God. That's how much He loves you. And man, He's given you the keys to the excavator. He's saying, would you just get in, turn it on, start using what I've already given you. You're going to see victory in your life. You're going to begin to silence the lies of the enemy. The more you bind it, the more you bring it under Jesus' name, the more you speak the word against it, the more you push the enemy out of your life. God has set a table for you. Yes, it's in the presence of your enemies. I wish it wasn't, but it is. Because He wants you to make a choice. Even though, God, I will. And I've, well, I've been there. God, I'm tired. God, I'm frustrated. God, I don't understand. In my mind, I thought it was going to play out like this. It's playing out like that. I'm confused. I don't know why. But by your grace and your mercy, I know I'm saved. I didn't deserve it, but you gave it. You went through pain unimaginable, simply that I would be forgiven. And so because of that, even though I will come and sit at that table with you, I'll dine with you. I'll commune with you. You've got to understand, God sets the table. It's filled with the most amazing things to partake of with Him. But remember, it cost Him everything. It cost Him everything to set the table for you and I. And my championing to you this morning is this, would you make the choice by faith to say, God, even though I will, I'm tired of the enemy sitting at my table being an uninvited guest, eating food that's not for him. I'm going to start to take captive the things the enemy is speaking into my life. 
doesn't line up with the Word of God, I'm not going to accept it. I bind it in Jesus' name and I speak your Word. I speak your promises. I speak your truth into my life. And maybe right now that's in your marriage. That's over your kids. That's over your business. That's over provision. God, I choose to speak your truth into those situations. And I might be in a valley and I don't see my way out. But if you are with me, who can be against me? If you are with me, no matter how dark it is, no matter how bad the light is and I can't see, God, if you are with me, I'm going to get to the other side of this. Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David knew it. Do you know it this morning? So I want to pray over us this morning that you would go out of this place and begin to engage and connect in and step into the work God's already done for you. I want you to hear me this morning, church, again. The work of the cross is a done deal. It's already been done. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Christ has done it all that you would walk according to the plans and purposes He has for your life. But you and I have to step into it. We've got to engage with God. And if you're struggling with things right now that are not right, it's time to take authority over them because you have that authority in Jesus. And so if that is you this morning, I want to pray with you and I want to stand with you and I want to agree again for the power of God to come into your life that you can start to walk in victory. That if the enemy is circling, we're going to bind him this morning in Jesus' name and we're going to cast him off that you would walk in freedom. And Father, right now I thank you for each and every person, every family standing before me this morning. God, that you love them that you are calling them to a table, that you would eat with them, that you would dine with them, that you would speak with them. And Father, maybe our tables right now, there's unwelcome guests sitting with us, haven't been invited, but they're there anyway. God, right now for every person that's dealing with the uninvited guest, has pulled up a chair in their marriage, pulled up a chair in their kid's life, pulled up a chair in their health. God, we just take authority this morning in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that your word says that you are greater in us than he that is of this world. So, Father, we make a decision by faith to stand on your word. We choose to come and fix our eyes again on Jesus. Father, that you provide a way out, that you bring provision, that you bring healing where healing is needed, that you bring reconciliation to relationships that maybe right now are broken. Father, we take authority this morning. God, and we are a church and a people that will choose to commune with you, engage with you, walk with you, that we're not going to accept the lies the enemy's been telling us because there's more to life, church, living under the promises of God. We're going to start to walk them out as we come to the second half of this year. God, we want to walk in victory. And so I just pray and speak over every life here this morning, God, that they would know the miracle working power of Calvary right now in their lives. God, that they'd be able to see with clarity and identify those thoughts that are not of you. Those words that are not of you. Those lies that are not of you. God, would you help them to take authority in Jesus' name. To silence the devil. God, we thank you this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in that beautiful song again. And I want you just right where you are right now. Don't worry about what's going on around you, but let's just worship, church. 
Let's just thank God for what He's done. Let's just worship. You know, the Bible says that when Israel came over Jericho, God's purpose was to pull down those walls that they would take authority and victory, but it wasn't done through anything but the voice of Israel being lifted up, worshiping. And as they lift up a cry of worship, God brought down those words. So right now, wherever you are, we're going to worship. And I want you just to see those walls in your life coming down. Giving God access to every area of your life. Doesn't matter how messy it is, how dirty it is, how shameful it is. God says, if you will let me, I want to come in. And I want to begin to redeem. And I want to begin to restore. And I want to begin to forgive. That beautiful thing called grace, church. He says, doesn't matter how broken you are, if you will come to me with a heart that is open and a heart that is ready to repent, he says, I'll forgive you because I love you. I've already done the work for you. I want you just to come to me. So why don't we worship this morning? Father, we thank you. Lift up the name of Jesus. God, come and minister to your people. I will make room for you to do whatever you want. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.